0: Hey, I get it. I used to be the one planning my day around finding a bathroom and living in fear of an accident. I tried the pills and pads, but they just weren't working for me. If you're living like I was, it's time to find an expert physician and ask them about Axonix therapy. It's not another drug. It's an advanced therapy that is proven to provide lasting relief for overactive bladder. Still not sure? You can even try it first to make sure it works for you. You're not alone, and you don't have to put up with this anymore. You just have to take the first step towards finding real relief. Visit findrealrelief.com to find a bladder specialist. That's findrealrelief.com. Consult a bladder specialist to find out if Axonix is right for you. Results and experiences may vary. Risks can result from Axonix therapy that may require surgical intervention. Available by prescription only. For more information about safety and potential risks, go to findrealrelief.com. Hi, I'm Maria.
1: And I'm Mike. And we're Team team ready. Ready.
0: Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready.
1: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
0: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
1: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com teamready team ready. Welcome to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Now, for your host,
2: Dan Mater. Welcome back to the show, MD Nation. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater, and we are here at the mobile studios today. And for those of you who are not with us on Thursday and on Friday's episodes, or maybe are with us for the first time ever today... The mobile studios basically means there's only the audio version of the podcast available. Remember, starting last week, from now on, the preview episodes that are on Thursdays and Fridays will be live streamed on Sportscaster for you guys. So we'll have, of course, the audio versions and we'll have the live streaming versions for you. I'll be letting you guys know ahead of time exactly what times on Thursday and on Friday that they will be getting dropped or live streams will begin. So that way you can tune in on sportscaster.com. Or if you have an Apple product, you can download the Sportscaster app and watch it through there at Up, I'll say that again. It's at MDFFUSNBellyUp. Belly up. That's how you can find me on there. And of course, on my Twitter account at MDSFFshow is where I will be dropping exactly when those live streams will be going on. I'll be dropping them that morning. I'll let you guys usually try to have a, an hour notice of when that live stream is going to begin. And of course, later on the day, you can either replay the video stream if you have the time or in the car. The audio version of the podcast will be widely available to you like it always is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, Pinecast, you name it. The MD's Finish Football Show is always widely available to you guys. So just to make sure we have a quick recap of what's going on with the show. It's been working out great. Like I said, it, the live stream went better than I could have ever expected it to. That's all thanks to you guys at MD Nation. This is about the part of the season where you start to think about things of what you want to add on next year, how you can grow the show and expand the show. And yes, we're we're a month now away, and less than a month now away from the fantasy playoffs are kicking in the high gear to try to get MD Nation's main championships as humanly possible. But this is also where we start to try out things like, oh, you know what, we might add this on next year. And with this has been such a success that we're going to get added on for the rest of this season. Wish we did it earlier, but it's been great participation from you guys. And remember, with the mailbag segments that we have on Thursday and Friday, of course, whenever you contact me during the week, I'm still going to select a few questions from either the email from the website www.mdffshow.com or from Facebook page at MDFFshow or, of course, from Twitter at Show again. But I'll also be taking questions during the shows. That's the great thing about the Sportscaster site. If you get on there and you join the live stream, you can join the chat. You can drop a fantasy football question while the episode is going on. And at the end of the show, I'll get to all of the questions during the episode itself that people leave the questions for in the chat right then and there. So I'll be able to make my special little tidbit for you guys if you want to go ahead and be able to watch while the live stream is able to be going on. So just some kind of quick updates with what's going on with the show. Now, of course, today's episode is going to be the Week 10 recap for all the Sunday afternoon games. Remember, tomorrow we will be back with the Sunday night, the Monday night recaps, and of course, the most important part of tomorrow's episode, which will be the waiver wire report heading into Week 11. We'll see exactly what that winds up being, how much, uh, how many players that entails as we're coming off bye weeks really assess the injuries that we came out of week 10 with not too many but there are a couple of note that we're gonna have to wait and see uh, what the reports are going to be and make sure you're following me along on twitter for all of those player news update notifications throughout the week So we're going to have all that for you guys and more. So we're going to go ahead, we're going to drop the break, get right into it. Feeling a little bit under the weather today, so I kind of want to get through this as quickly and as painlessly as we possibly can, although it is a ton of content. So we're going to go ahead, drop that break, and get right started. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become the newest member of the Belly Up Sports Network. The Belly Up Sports Network is a rising star in the sports industry. After having emerged onto the scene in just a year, they have accrued a massive following with bold articles, standout podcasts, and great debate amongst followers in the forums. Sign up for their newsletter and get access to all of the information throughout the Belly Up Sports Network. Go to bellyupsports.com today to join. Be bold and stand out. So why don't we kick off the very first recap game of the week with the biggest blowout of the week, which was the Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. This looked like the Ravens against the Miami Dolphins all over again in this one. Lamar Jackson was great through the air and on the ground, 15 of 17, 223 yards, three passing touchdowns. No turnovers, and then also tacked on seven carries for 65 yards and a touchdown. A touchdown just looks simply unfair. 47-yarder spin move just look like a straight-up video game. He just looks like he's playing at a different speed than everyone else on the field. It's absolutely insane to be doing that. Look, Lamar Jackson is as exciting with his playmaking and his legs ability as Patrick Mahomes is throwing the football. Watching both of these guys is some of the most exciting football that we've seen in a long time, if almost ever, with the ability, athletic ability that both of these guys possess. I really hope that these are the two teams that we see in the playoffs in the AFC Conference Championship game because, boy, would that be a treat to just watch these two go at it in that kind of setting. But for our fantasy purposes, Lamar Jackson continues to be a top QB1, competing for that number one spot overall. It's going to be a tight race there with Russell Wilson. Patrick Holmes is not going to find himself in that situation as far as the season total goes, but from here on out, he will be competing as a QB1 with him back in the lineup as well. We're going to talk about him in a little bit later, but Lamar Jackson right now, he's Michael Vick. On crack, because he's just getting more production in the passing game on a consistent basis than Michael Vick ever did on top of that. Marquise Brown came back in this game. Four catches, 80 yards, a touchdown on four targets. Very efficient, but nice to see him get a nice stat line after it had been a little while since we've seen him actually get a decent stat line. Now, it was his first week back last week against the New England Patriots. We didn't expect much there. But against the Bengals, we knew coming into this game, they are one of the worst teams in the league when it comes to giving up the big play in the passing game, and pretty much I believe it was the second play from scrimmage in this football game. It was a bomb right off the bat, 49 yards to Marquise Brown just to get it started. Later on in the game, he wound up getting the touchdown. He's going to continue to be the number one wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens and continue to be a boomer bust play in plus matchups. He's not going to be somebody you can play no matter what. You're going to want to pick your spots with him moving forward, and this was a good spot to pick him in as well, and he did not disappoint. The other guy who did not disappoint in Mark Andrews. It was nice to see him get back on track. He had been a tight end one for a long time. Falling out of the top five because he'd really been going over a kind of a bit of a cold streak there for a while, but in this game came back six catches, 53 yards, two touchdowns. The biggest thing is he had eight targets, which was double the amount of targets of Marquise Brown, double the amount of targets of Nick Boyle, who were the second were tied for the second most pass catchers uh, on there. So by far, he was the leading pass catcher for Lamar Jackson. Having Marquise Brown back really helps Mark Andrews moving forward. Having that guy who's going to be the deep threat, take the top off the field, really open up the intermediate part of the field where Lamar Jackson is really accurate and can hit Mark Andrews on a consistent basis. That's all going to look up Moving forward, Nick Boyle did it four catches for 78 yards, and this one's the second week in a row where he's actually had a pretty good, productive game as far as catching the ball through the air, but it's not something to be expected. He's still not running a lot of routes, he's still not used a lot in that capacity. That's still, like you can tell from the targets, Is still Mark Andrews' job here. So, just something to kind of keep in mind. He's not suddenly going to be a tight end flyer that you can take on or anything like that. I know people. some people are getting really desperate at the tight end position, so I'm trying to talk some of you guys off of a ledge when it comes to certain names that are people are just chasing points and chasing their tails. Mark Ingram, just to talk about him real quick, 9 carries, 34 yards, you don't love that, but he did get the rushing touchdown in this game. Kind of disappointing. This is the second time. This is the second time against the Cincinnati Bengals that he's been a little bit on the disappointing side, and the biggest reason why is because both times Lamar Jackson was the leading rusher of the team. I mean, Mark Ingram's issue so far this season his his lack of getting consistent touches hasn't been because of Gus Edwards, hasn't been because of Justice Hill. It's been because of Lamar Jackson, and as long as that continues to be the case, Mark Ingram has a you know, an upside for a touchdown any given week, uh, given this offense and everything else. But until a team actually keeps Lamar Jackson in the pocket, we're going to see Mark Ingram struggle to get 15 to 16 carries every single week. I keep playing him as an RB2 just because the touchdown performance there and the fact that I saw our run first team, that's always going to give him solid value week in and week out no matter what. I still think he's going to be somebody who's going to have a big week in him uh, upcoming soon. They do have a decent little schedule for him that's upcoming for the Baltimore Ravens. But, Lamar Jackson, who continues to run the way that he is, is going to take away some work for Mark Ingram, but expect him to be very efficient when he does get the ball. I think you would like to see him get a little more involved in his passing game, but the running backs were not involved in the passing game at all. Not one target to the running back position in this game. Didn't have to in this one. Not every game is going to be this easy. So look for other things to bounce back for Mark Ingram to get closer to that 14-15 to 15 touch total range uh, after, after this week heading into next week. On the Bengals' side of the ball, not really a lot to talk about here fantasy football-wise. One, they played terrible. Two, Ryan Finley, the rookie quarterback, made his debut. And he was expectedly awful against this Baltimore Ravens. Team. Uh, Tyler Boyd has six catches, 62 yards on eight targets. He did get knocked out of this game at one point. We'll wait to see exactly what his status is. It's not the belief to be serious as of right now. So we'll wait to see exactly what that's going to mean moving forward. The biggest thing here was that Giovanni Bernard was injured and was knocked out of this game completely. As a result, Joe Mixon got an ungodly amount of work Uh, 32 touches total in this game, 114 yards on the ground, 37 yards through the air this best game that he's had in a long time he didn't score in this game but you know what if Genevieve Bernard is going to be hurt if they're going to have to lean on the running game even in bad matchups which was not a great matchup that I have to run the football on either but with the rookie quarterback if they're going to have to lean on the running game this much and give Joe Mixon these kind of touches now I don't expect him to get 32 touches again next week but if he's going to get 20 plus touches every single week moving forward and they're going to have to lean on him and utilize him that way, he's going to go back to having a decent floor. This is still a really good player, even with a bad offensive line. As long as he gets utilized enough, he'll be able to produce. The biggest thing would be the passing game. Now, he only had three targets in this game, but two catches, 37 yards, that's more production in the past game than he's had in a little bit of a while. That's what they need him to get going on. You don't need to give him 30 carries, but you need to get this guy four to five targets in the passing game. There's really no reason not to. Maybe with Ryan Finley being the starter moving forward that might wind up coming to fruition as he'll look to check down more and more so that's actually a possibility and while it's crazy to think Ryan Finley because of the way they may be calling plays may be the light at the end of the tunnel that Joe Mixon owners have been looking for to have some kind of semblance of a productive player and against a, a team where they got completely blown out in this game wasn't a great matchup he had a good performance because of volume This is what I can expect, especially if Genevieve and Bernard is going to miss time, which as of right now we think might very well be the case. Um, The next game up we're going to talk about is the Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints. This was, we had some shockers this week. This was probably the most shocking because it wasn't just the Falcons upset the Saints. It was the fact that they dominated the Saints defensively. Right, Because that's what we didn't expect of all the things for them to do. Offensively, look, Matt Ryan wasn't great. He was definitely hobbled out there, but he was able to do just enough. 20-35, 182 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. The two touchdowns wind up saving your day to some degree if you started Matt Ryan where he wasn't completely a bust. But it wasn't great in this one. He expected a little bit more. This could have been a shootout game. Turned out to be a defensive game for the most part all the way around. Devontae Freeman got banged up in this game. At first, we were told it's a foot injury. Now we're getting some reports that it may be an ankle injury. Either way, we don't know the seriousness or extent of it. What we do know is he went out early in the second half of this game and never returned. So we don't know exactly what we're going to be doing with. We don't know if he's going to be uh, out for next week. This is something that we're going to have to watch throughout the week. And make sure you're following me along on Twitter for those player news update notifications on this one. In his absence... Brian Hill had 20 carries in this game, 61 yards, not very efficient, but you're not expecting him to be against New Orleans Saints. He also tacked on a catch for a touchdown on two targets in the receiving game. We will see what happens if if Devontae Freeman cannot go. Brian Hill is not going to be the workhorse back. They'll mix in Kenyon Barner. They'll probably sign somebody, bring somebody off the practice squad. They're going to mix in a few guys. Now he'll be the lead back, and you can pick him up and play him in the flex. As a result, if Devontae Freeman was to not play, but he's just to give you kind of a heads up before you go ahead and blow all of your Fab or maybe blow a top priority. I would maybe hold off because he's definitely not going to be the workhorse back even if Devontae Freeman misses. So just kind of keep that in mind when you're looking at the waiver wires this week, a a player who will definitely be on the waiver wire report uh, come tomorrow. For the receiving game, Julio Jones, three catches, 79 yards on nine targets, kind of inefficient there, but did have to get shadowed against Marshawn Lattimore, who also did wind up getting hurt at one point in this game, Lattimore that is. Uh... Look for better days ahead for Julio Jones. The good thing is they had their bye week, so you don't have to worry about him being on bye again for the rest of the season, and you know he's going to get more than three catches in most games, and even in this one, the fact that he got you 79 yards, he still finds a way to give you a decent floor, and what's probably going to go down as one of his worst games statistically uh, for this entire season. If Calvin Ridley once again was not able to take advantage with the fact that there's no Mohammed Sanu and the fact that he wasn't seeing much of Marshawn Lattimore in coverage. Only three catches, twenty-eight yards on five targets. At this point, it's going to take plus matchups, it's going to take matches, we know the Falcons are going to be able to score the football for us to even contemplate Calvin Ridley, and even then, it's going to have to be in a situation where we have people on by or are injured, which could very well be the case over the next two weeks especially, but he's He's just struggling to put himself back in a position where you can trust him on a week-to-week basis. This is a matchup you wanted to see out of the bye that to get him more heavily involved with Muhammad Sanu gone, and the fact was he was not. And that's even with Austin Hooper, who got hurt in this one and also knocked out for the rest of the game, uh, this later on in the second half, and Devontae Freeman. I don't, I think, I believe it was at the very end of the third quarter, maybe beginning of the fourth quarter. We're told it's a knee injury. He was ruled out. Again, another situation where we don't know the extent of it. We know he went to the medical tent. They thought maybe he could try to come back. They wound up ruling him out. We're not 100% sure how serious it is. That's going to be a big loss because he has been the number one fantasy tight end for this season thus far, even more so in Travis Kelsey, more so in George Kittle, it's been Austin Hooper so far this season. He did score a touchdown before he got out, so he did save your fantasy day. It helped you out in that sense; you didn't lose because of Austin Hooper. But hopefully, hopefully, especially the way the tight end position is for fantasy football, he's not going to be out very long, if at all. But we will have to keep our eyes on that too. Uh, on the Saints side of the ball. On a game at home against the Atlanta Falcons, and you told me Drew Brees was going to throw the ball 45 times, I would have told you he went for 400 yards and three touchdowns. But he only went for 287 yards and zero touchdowns. I mean, absolutely unbelievable against this Falcons defense. Now, we know the Falcons did everything they could to mix it up, right? They changed the coaching staff. They changed who was calling plays. They had position coaches on offense, coaching position places on defense. I mean, they literally mixed up anything and everything that they could possibly think of heading into this matchup coming out of the bye. And you know what? It wound up working, at least for this week anyway. This is a big win. The Saints were at home in this game. Look, Drew Brees is going to have better days ahead. I'm not worried about that. He's going to have more QB1 finishes. Than not for the rest of the season. So you're not going to worry about Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara came back in this game. Now look, Alvin Kamara outplayed Latavius Murray by a landslide as far as snaps go. But Latavius Murray did have one extra carry than Alvin Kamara did, although it wasn't nearly as efficient. Kamara had four carries for 24 yards. Latavius Murray had five carries for just 12 yards. So he wasn't efficient in this game. But this was also a weird game. So for those of us who are trying to figure out, you know, exactly what's Latavius Murray's role going to be with Alvin Kamara moving forward, had he earned the right to be worked in a little bit more, I thought this would be a game that would give us a good idea because you figured the Saints would be in a positive game script, and that didn't wind up being the case. I mean the Falcons were up from the get-go, they're up 13 to 6 heading in half, their defense was dominating. So I don't feel like we got a good feel for what this split. Between Latavius Murray and Alvin Kamara is really going to be moving forward in this game because it was just it wound up being a really weird, unexpected game. Alvin Kamara, of course, was heavily involved in the passing game, like you think he they would be in a game in which everybody was down. A catches, fifty yards on ten targets. The guy who's actually providing you some tight end floor now over the past couple of weeks and probably will moving forward with Drew Brees is Jared Cook. Six catches, 74 yards on 10 targets. He's starting to get heavily involved. Look, the Saints are in a position somebody, somebody besides Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas needs to be a weekly productive pass catcher. That was supposed to be Jared Cook when they signed him. Hadn't really been the case so far this season, but I would look for him moving forward to start being that solid, productive guy that you expected him to be when they when they signed him and when you drafted him. So I think there's a decent chance that Jared Cook here may have more value in the second half of the season moving forward. Michael Thomas was as you know as valuable as you would expect him to be in this one. 13, 13 catches, 152 yards, continues to be a top receiver as far as PPR leagues go. This is why he's the number one elite guy. He just gets so much volume. It's absolutely insane. had 14 targets in this game. There's really nobody else to go to with the ball. As far as the Tavis Murray and Alvin Kamara goes, I think we'll have a better idea in a game that has more a normal game script of the Saints I think we're going to wind up seeing. But... I think Latavius Murray is going to have a role. You're just going to have to pick your spots on when he's going to be a flex guy for you. I would wait one more week to see, all right, do they have a positive game script next week? And would use that as a way to get an idea of what to expect Latavius Murray to be with Alvin Kamara in the lineup. Uh, so just kind of kind of take that in mind as we move forward. The Bills and the Browns. The Browns finally found a way to get a win at home. You wouldn't think it'd be that difficult, but it was. And the biggest reason why was because Baker Mayfield actually didn't turn the ball away and give the game to the other team. That was the biggest thing in this game that looked like a big improvement for them. He was 26-38, of 38, 238 yards, two touchdowns. Still not great. Still not a guy you're considering for fantasy purposes, although their schedule does get a little bit easier, but they do got to go and see the Pittsburgh Steelers who have had a really good defense as of late too so it doesn't get much easier from here on out the big question mark coming into this game was Nick Chubb cream hunt what was the split going to be what can we expect and you know what I think I got what we sort of expected could have been the case like I kept saying I said a worst case scenario for Nick Chubb owners was going to be a 50-50 split which I didn't expect to it for it to be a 50-50 split uh, and it wasn't, as far as carries go anyway. Nick Chubb had 20 carries. Kareem Hunt only had four. Chubb goes over 100 yards, 116 yards on the ground. Looked great again. Like I said, going into this matchup, I know a lot of people are anticipating Kareem Hunt. I was like, Nick Chubb has been too good on the ground for them to just go away from him. Or for them to just split carries between the two of them. But what we saw today could be something I could see them doing moving forward. That was Kareem Hunt being heavily involved in the passing game right? Look, Nick Chubb is a serviceable pass catcher, but he's not a great explosive pass catcher. Kareem Hunt's definitely a more nimble, agile, better playmaking pass catcher out of the backfield. Seven catches for 44 yards on nine targets in this game. That is something I could expect to see him out of. That is something I could expect to see the Browns do moving forward. That can also give Kareem Hunt more times than not flex appeal. Look, he had seven, he had seven and a half points for standard leagues. i uh, Had, you know, 18 points if you're in a full point PPR league. So this is something, or I'm sorry, 14 points if you're in a full PPR league. So if he's going to be the pass catching back, which it looks like that could be the role of his moving forward, and it would make sense for that to be the case, he's going to be actually a solid flex play for you guys. Because he's going to be involved in the passing game. Um, and it doesn't take away from Nick Chubb. Now, I think this has to be the best news for Nick Chubb owners because it doesn't take away from the fact that you can still get 20 carries, which they did in this game, still go over 100 yards, still be the dominant RB2, RB1 on the ground that he had been over the past few weeks. Now, he just might not be as involved in the passing game. He had four targets for two catches and five yards in this one. But you can still expect to get your rushing production as a low-end RB1. So it's a win-win, I think, for everybody. It's a win for the people who have been holding on or picked up Kareem Hunt and are hoping to be able to get some value out of him. I do think he has flex appeal. It's also a win for the people who drafted Nick Chubb and worried that his RB1 status would disappear. It looks like they will be able to do both. What they can't do of both is keep two fantasy-relevant wide receivers. Apparently, they can't do that of both. Jarvis Landry had a great game. Nine catches, 97 yards, a touchdown. Uh, Tredavious White saw Odo Becca most of this game, who once again, five catches, 57 yards, is once again underwhelming in this one. Was still the leading targeted receiver, 12 targets. They did try to make an emphasis to go and get him the ball as much as they can. And that's been the emphasis for the past few weeks, and it's just it's it's you know, it's rolled out medial results. And like I said, their schedule gets a little bit easier after the last three weeks they've had, but not a whole hell of a lot. Uh, So we're going to have to keep our eyes on that. Odell Beckham is somebody that you know you keep running out there, but he's kind of in the same mold with Juju Smith-Schuster where it's like from a talent perspective, I don't got anybody better, but from a production and an opportunity perspective, it it ain't looking good. And you're pretty much a wide receiver three at this point that I'm hoping just based on your ability, you'll be able to break one once in a while when I need you to. Of the two of Odell Beckham and Juju Smith-Schuster, I still have more faith in Odell Beckham moving forward than I do Juju Smith-Schuster because I still have more faith in the aggressive play style of offense that the Cleveland Browns, whether I agree with a lot of the play calling or not, are still going to go by while the Pittsburgh Steelers are a complete conservative team now with Mason Rudolph under center. so And and with, him, with Mason Rudolph, the number one guy he's been able to go to is Deontay Johnson. So, that, yeah, I definitely trust Odell Beckham more, but these guys are both in similar molds. Where they're supposed to be RB, or, or sorry, wide receiver ones, and are really more just expected to be wide receiver threes at this point, and not necessarily must plays every single week. Although it's hard pressed for me to imagine you guys having much better options unless you did great in the waiver wire as we moved forward. On the Bills side of the ball. It was a little disappointing to see. Uh, Devin Singletary had a good efficiency in this one, and the Bills were never down by a ton in this game. So the fact that he only got eight carries was really mind-boggling to me. You know the biggest way to move the ball on this Cleveland Browns defense is to run up the middle and gash them. And yet, the Buffalo Bills never really seemingly stuck to it, which didn't make sense because, like I said, they were never really down by more than a score in this ball ballgame. Uh, Josh Allen here. Wasn't great. 22 of 41. Around that 50% completion percentage that we're used to seeing him be. 266 yards. Didn't have a touchdown. Didn't have a turnover. But did rush for two touchdowns. So if you played him, he streamed streamed him. He gave you back the QB results that you were looking for. And that's always the thing with Josh Allen. He might save your day when he runs the football. But the fact that Devin Singles here only had eight carries for 42 yards. And then Frank Gore had five carries for 12 yards. Look, I, I don't... Well, I thought last week, when we saw Devin Singletary with 20 carries, when we saw him be the best offensive player that the Buffalo Bills have by landslide, you were hoping, while you knew Frank Gore would be involved to some degree, that there would be a much less of a discrepancy between the two, heavily favoring Devin Singletary, and yet, here we are, only three extra carries in Frank Gore, even though Frank Gore, once again, was terrible with his touches. I gotta think Devin Singletary moving forward will get more and more of the work, but it just shows you that Frank Gore is not going anywhere and it is going to eat into Devin Singletary's ceiling in games where he doesn't touch the ball as much as he should. Like he should have in this one. He only had three catches for eight yards as well, uh, by the way, on seven targets. So he was the second most targeted pass catcher but just not very efficient on those John Brown has a solid game five catches 77 yards 11 targets he continues to be a wide receiver three with some upside uh Josh Allen's been even though he's not very accurate has been targeting John Brown enough to pretty much guarantee he's going to have a certain floor moving forward I think he's a wide receiver three with upside like I said he has that floor Cole Beasley from a production standpoint, he ain't far off. I mean, he had four catches, 74 yards on six targets in this one. He's just a guy who's in a, in certain matchups you would expect that if there's somebody in this pass-catching group that's going to disappear, it would be Cole Beasley. That's why I don't trust him. I'm not going to play him. But I understand if you're in a deep-league situation and you've been hurt by buys or injuries, he has been putting up production over the past month that you can't necessarily ignore. And if you have to play him, then you have to play him. But I'm just telling you right now that if I have other options with more upside, I'm going to probably find a reason to not play Cole Beasley more times than I would even fathom actually playing him in my starting lineups. So there's something to kind of keep in mind uh, there. Next game up, we got the Chiefs and the Tennessee Titans. This was the best game of the day. Uh, by by far this was the best game. It was surprising that the Titans won, but it was just, this was one of the best games to watch. I mean the Titans came back the other way. Derrick Henry, 23 carries, 188 yards and two touchdowns. Damn near 200 yards on the ground. And the best thing was they kept feeding him the rock even when they were down by multiple scores because that's the Titans are going to do. No Corey Davis in this game. Ryan Tannehill was on his own 13 of 19, 181 yards, two touchdowns. They took advantage of what they do best and what the Chiefs struggle to stop, which is the running game, the physical running game up the middle. They can't do it. My big disappointment, and it was a bad call by me, was A.J. Brown. Look, with no Corey Davis, in a game in which I knew Tennessee was going to have to keep up scoring-wise, and they did, I didn't expect Derrick Henry to be able to rush for almost 200 yards, even though I liked his matchup. So that was part of it. But the fact that A.J. Brown only came away with one catch for 17 yards on four targets was really surprising to me. I thought he would have a much better game. I thought he would be much more heavily involved. And really, it was Janu Smith, who had four catches for 30 yards, and everyone else was kind of meh. It wasn't like Adam Humphreys was more involved. Adam Humphreys was the one who got the touchdown, yes, but he only had one catch for 23 yards when he had that touchdown. So just none of the receivers really got involved in this game. Derrick Henry was able to keep them in it, and they were able to make plays on the defensive side of the ball that kept them in it as well. And that was kind of probably the biggest thing of all. As far as fantasy purposes go, I still think AJ Brown is somebody who has wide receiver four with upside in certain matchups moving forward, especially if Corey Davis is going to continue to miss. I still think he's the number one wide receiver on this team now, not Corey Davis moving forward. But it just goes to show you that if you play AJ Brown, even when you think it's a good idea and a good week to play him, because of this offense, the way it is, the way it's built for the run first, because Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback, he's always going to have a low floor no matter the situation no matter the matchup. So just something to keep in mind, and the same goes true for Corey Davis if you're still a Corey Davis believer as well. On the Chiefs' side of the ball, Patrick Mahomes, welcome back. It was great to see you. 36 of 50, 446 yards, three touchdowns. Absolutely incredible, highly productive. The QB one you all expected and drafted him to be back at it again. The biggest surprise to me was Tyreek Hill. Not the fact that he went for 11 catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown. The fact that he had 19 targets. It felt like every time Patrick Mahomes dropped back to pass, he was looking for Tyreek Hill. Now look, Hill got hurt in the first game of the season And didn't play for a good week and a half. And by the time he came back, that was when Patrick Mahomes got hurt. So the two, these two guys really haven't been able to be on the field at the same time much this season. I don't know if that was part of it. I don't know if that was part of the game plan of why they were so gung-ho about getting each other involved. But my goodness, it was definitely clear that Patrick Mahomes came in there with the single mindset of, I am getting Tyreek Hill the ball. Everyone else, be damned. I mean, and... You know, at the end of the day, he still threw the ball fifty times. So Travis Kelsey still got seven targets, which you're not, you know, you're not going to be upset about. Seven catches, seventy five yards, and a touchdown. Not mad about that there. And Sammy Watkins still got nine targets, which you're not mad about. And he got five catches, which you're not mad about. The thirty nine yards though is what the issue is. Look. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, they have Sammy Watkins right right now running all the short patterns. It's all crosses, maybe some intermediate routes, but they're just they're not sending him on bombs. And when they are sending him on bombs, they're usually sending Tyree Kill also on a bomb on the other side of the field. And in this game, the ball is just going to Tyree Kill every single time. Now Patrick Mahomes is in there. Sammy Watkins is an explosive player, and he's healthy as far as we know right now. So as long as those things are true, as long as Patrick Mahomes is playing and Sammy Watkins is healthy, as long as those two things are true, he's always going to have upside. He's always going to have the possibility to have that big game for you. And in PPR leagues, he's been able to give you a high floor because he's been getting five to six catches every single week. He's been getting seven to nine targets every single week. The opportunities are there. So I'm stressing that because I'm stressing the fact that I still have a wide receiver three with upside expectation on Sammy Watkins moving forward with Patrick Mahomes. I do. And I know a lot of people are going to call me crazy. A lot of people aren't going to trust it. And I don't blame you for feeling that way. But what I'm telling you is that he's getting the opportunities every single week. Patrick Mahomes is there. Sammy Watkins is healthy. Those things usually mean that he's going to have upside potential. Are you going to know what week it is? No. Clearly you're not. Because it, it doesn't matter based on matchup when you have this kind of offense. It's all about who is going to go to that day. This is a Tyreek Hill day. Next week could be a Sammy Watkins day. We don't know. But what I will say is that I'm somebody who actually has Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins on a lot of leagues. And even though I might have other options that could be considered better than Sammy Watkins, I'm... So for playing both of these guys in your starting lineups at the same time, if you have both of them, because pretty much what you're doing is you're handcuffing yourself, right? Because, you know, if it's not a Tyree kill day, it's probably going to be a Sammy Watkins day because Travis Kelsey does his thing no matter what that no matter what. But with those two, it can kind of a lot of times it be one or the other or both at the same time. I don't care that, like, for for instance, I have leagues where I have Crowder and DJ Chark, and I may play Watkins over those guys even if they, I think, might have a better matchup or might be ranked higher or should be playing over him because I'm going to sit there and be like, look, I'm going to play both of these guys because I'm pretty much guaranteeing I'm going to have high-end production because you can't keep this Chiefs offense down, not when they're all healthy. Biggest thing on the running game that you had to take out of this was Damian Williams. 19 carries, 77 yards, 5 catches, 32 yards. By far the lead running back on the day. Rashawn McCoy was a healthy scratch, presumably for fumbling the ball, because he had been in the doghouse ever since he had that last fumble. Now, here's the thing. Damien Williams fumbled in this game. The difference was he didn't get put into the doghouse for the rest of the game like Rashawn McCoy did. So I don't know if Damien Williams just has a longer leash. I don't know if any readers looks at it as because he's a far better pass catcher that he's just going to stay involved in the offense even if he has A mishap here and there where LaShawn McCoy had been pretty much just the runner uh, when playing. I don't know if it was part of the game plan, and maybe that was why. But what we do know is that if Damian Williams is going to be the lead rusher, especially to this extent where he's going to get 19 carries, where he's going to be still the lead pass catcher, he's going to find himself right back in high-end RB2 territory down the stretch just like he was a season ago. If he's going to get that kind of touches in this offense. So something to be very excited by. Damian Williams is a must start until we see something different. Must start. So going into next week, week 11, he's a must start as an RB2 for you. Until we hear something different, until LeSean McCoy comes back, until they mix it up again, which is a possibility. So I'm not saying he's definitely going to be an RB2 for the rest of the season. This was the game to prove it. But what I'm saying to you is that this is the trend. This is what the tea leaves are pointing to, or they're pointing towards Damian Williams getting back to that status where he was a week or two ago. Because the fact that he wasn't put in the doghouse after he fumbled. Because remember, Darrell Williams, and Darwin Thompson were active in this game, so and both have been pretty productive when when thrusted into opportunities. The fact that they stuck with him shows me that they seem to have some trust in Damian Williams and how they want to run this offense moving forward more so than LaShawn McCoy. And that could be the difference as to why he gets to keep his job throughout the rest of the year and maybe wind up being the lead rusher the rest of the year. I don't think LaShawn McCoy is going to be a healthy scratch every single week here on out. I do think I think there's a good chance he's active next week. But I do think this, must, this might be Damian Williams' backfield from here on out, barring an excessive amount of fumbles or an injury. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back on the other side. We still have some more games to get to. And the recap from Sunday afternoon. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is now partnered with the Unwrapped Sports Network. Unwrapped Sports Network has a top-notch sports blog covering all sports all the time with a team of talented writers. You can also visit their podcast page to listen to this show and several others covering multiple sports. Sign up for their newsletter and never miss a thing at unwrapsports.com. Again, that's unwrapsports.com. Rolling along here, coming out of the break, we have the Detroit Lions and the Chicago Bears. And while this wasn't the lowest scoring game that we had in today's afternoon, or in Sunday's afternoon games, I should say, this was definitely by far the ugliest game that we probably saw. Look, Matthew Stafford, who's expected to play all week long, suddenly came out Saturday night that he was truly going to be a game-time decision, and all of a sudden, Sunday morning, doctors told him he couldn't go, or doctors told him that he shouldn't go. Apparently details that we didn't have all week long had has fractured bones in his back now is not so serious that he's been ruled out for week 11 because while the doctors advised him not to play this week it they did come out right away and say that he would have a chance to come back in week 11 so it sounds like Matthew Stafford might be back sooner rather than later Especially Detroit Lions, pretty much on their last chance for a playoff push, especially after losing this game. Uh, they're going to want Stafford back to at least have a chance down the stretch, I would imagine. So, look for Stafford to try to come back next week. There's a real possibility that could be the case. As far as the running game goes... Ty Johnson wound up getting concussion in this game, was ruled out for the rest of this game, didn't come back in. In his stead, J.D. McKissick was the lead rusher. 10 carries, only 36 yards, did tack on 6 catches for 19 yards. So, he was okay for you as a flex play if you're in a PPR league, but... Just not going to have the volume, the role that you can be able to sink your teeth into week in and week out. I'm still waiting to see what the Lions are going to do. It still would not surprise me if they wound up bringing in another running back from somewhere. Yes, Paul Perkins is still involved, but he hits 7 carries for 9 yards in this game. He's just not doing anything effective. I just wouldn't be surprised if they're like, look, we got to move on Paul Perkins. we got to find a better option. That would not surprise me if they decided... To do something of that note. So just trying to kind of keep that in mind. We try to figure out exactly who we can trust in the Detroit Lions backfield. Right now, I think the answer is no one. If there's one back who I would trust in a scoring format, if it's PPR, I'll say JD McKissick is somebody you can throw out there and may just give you a pulse may give you enough catches to give you enough of a floor that he doesn't lose you to week. And that's pretty much all you can hope for. Outside of that, you can't really trust any Detroit Lions uh, running backs, which is why you want Stafford to come back because the volume is going to be there. I mean, hell, Jeff Driscoll came in this game and threw the ball 46 times. In a game that they only put up 13 points, in a game that they were only trailing by a score, and he still threw the ball 46 times. That's a lot. Now imagine if Matthew Stafford was the one throwing the ball that many times. Imagine if Matthew Stafford was the one in that first half when the Bears couldn't move the ball offensively. The Lions would have probably won this game easily had Stafford actually been able to play in this game. I, that that That's the truth. That's how bad the Chicago Bears are right now. We're going to get to that in a second. Marvin Jones, 5 catches, 77 yards on 6 targets. Kenny Galladay still had the most targets in this game, 9, but only 3 catches. 57 yards and a touchdown, the big one coming on the 47-yard touchdown pass that he was able to go up and get. So Kenny Galladay found a way to still give you a decent fantasy day, even though Stafford didn't play, even though it wasn't a great game overall because he was able to make that one big play and he has that ability to do so. And Chicago has been known to give up the big play, the 50-50 balls, the physical wide receivers, and that's why Jones and Galladay were the guys that he went to in this game. We'll wait to see if Stafford can come back. Galladay continues to be a wide receiver, too, it looks like, regardless, though. On the bare side of the ball to get to it, 16 of 23, 173 yards from Mr. Jabisky. Now, he did throw three touchdowns. Nothing came until the second half, basically, uh, where all of a sudden it looked like they could finally actually move the ball on an NFL-competent level, but that first half... Chicago still couldn't move the ball, even though they had Jeff Driscoll on the ropes, pretty much play in and play out. Their defense was dominating. It couldn't get Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was
0: only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true.
1: Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's Chumba Casino Com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.
2: anything going. Couldn't get the run game going. David Montgomery had 17 carries for 60 yards in this game. The biggest thing he likes is the fact that he still had the carries. Right, and as long as he's going to get 17 to 20 carries a game, which is what you expect out of them right now, you're going to love your matchups more times than not. He's still an RB2 probably the rest of this season with the amount of volume that he's been seeing on a week-in, week-out basis. So you're not going to worry about anything there when it comes to David Montgomery. Better days are ahead for him. The big thing I think was Allen Robinson. Look, he wasn't getting. He didn't got nothing in the first half. Absolutely nothing. It was looking like it was going to be another one-catch, six-yard day for Allen Robinson. Finally, got it all in the second half. Mr. Trubisky finally just putting the ball in an area where he could actually go catch it. That's all you have to do. Allen Robinson is one of the widest catch ranges of any of the wide receivers in the NFL. All you have to do is put it in his area and give him a chance to make a play. More times than not, he'll make it. Finally, Trubisky started doing that in the second half. Started putting it at least in his area. Six catches, 86 yards on nine targets in this game. He has better matchups ahead. Remember, he had Darius Slay shadowing him for most of this game. Still able to put up a decent performance and get that floor performance that you would expect out of him each and every week outside of last week. Like I understand why you might not have wanted to play Allen Robinson after watching that abysmal performance of last week. But they do have some better matchups coming up ahead for you. So you might be able to go back to like, all right. Mr. Bisky's going to have to throw the ball. It looks like he finally got a little bit of confidence as this game goes on. Maybe it carries on in the next week. Maybe it's just enough to get Allen Robinson back to being a wide receiver three with a high floor moving forward. That's what you're hoping for. Next game up to we'll talk about is the Cardinals, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is a good game. It was a back and forth game. Uh, and Jameis Winston came to play looking at two picks again, which, you know, at this point, I think. When you play James Winston, you expect him to have a couple interceptions. It's, is it going to matter when he throws it for 358 yards? Now, in this game, you only have one touchdown pass. I think that the part was the part that was a little disappointing uh, when it comes to James Winston in this game, especially against the Arizona Cardinals, especially with Patrick Peterson getting banged up in this one and while them being out. Uh, it picked up a calf issue in this game, of them getting knocked out of the game. And the fact that James Winston was only able to throw for one touchdown on top of that, I think was the disappointing part. But he was still a good quarterback. He still got you 20-plus fantasy points. Didn't matter. So you're, you're going to take that all day, every day, when you're looking to play a quarterback that you can possibly get off of waiver wires, which he was he's one of those guys that was possibly available for you. I think the interesting thing to take out of this game was uh, the running back situation. So, all week long, Bruce Arians comes out and says, hey, Ronald Jones, he's earned the right to be the lead carrier, get the majority of the work, all this stuff, talking him up all week long. We get cut to the game. Peyton Barber had 11 carries. Ronald Jones had 11 carries. So, they wound up going 50-50 in the workload. Now, yes. Ronald Jones was much more involved in the passing game than he had been at any other point this season, and he played in more snaps. That much is true. He had eight catches for 77 yards on eight targets. Now, that's going to be the game plan moving forward, where Ronald Jones is actually going to get involved in the passing game, and that's how he's going to be taking over the majority of the work, because if you look at it from the passing game standpoint, then it's Ronald Jones had 19 touches to Peyton Barber's 11. Then it's a little bit more, it's still not a feature role, but close to 20 touches out of Ronald Jones... You're gonna take that more times than not, especially given the running back position. You got a running back who's gonna give you twenty plus twenty around twenty touches, I should say, on an offense that scores a lot of points. A lot of times, most times than not, they're gonna give you an RB2 performance. That that's basically what it is. You need an offense that puts up a lot of points, you get a running back who actually gets you twenty touches however they come, he's probably gonna give you an RB2 performance. That's pretty much what he did in this game. Look, he winds up getting the touchdown, he goes over 100 yards from scrimmage. Yeah, great performance out of Ronald Jones, even though he wound up splitting the carries with Peyton Barber, who also got a touchdown, by the way, in this game. Now, I'm still not going to want to play Peyton Barber, and he's a flex play for me in the most desperate of buys. (laughs) Okay, so you had two more weeks, week 11, week 12 are heavy bye weeks, where he can maybe find himself having to be a flex appeal because it just need a guy with a pulse. After that, I see no reason why you're going to be playing Peyton Barber. Snap-wise would tell you that Ronald Jones was the workhorse the majority lead back in this game snap snap count would tell you that so i would have to think in a game in which they're not able to get both of these guys involved the way they were in this matchup that more times than not ronald jones will get more of that work moving forward instead of peyton barber so that's why i say there's no way i'm playing peyton barber unless i have no other option uh even though this game you saw him have 50 50 of the work as far as the rush carries go i don't care about that Uh, that's that's probably not how most games are going to go. I just found it interesting after talking up Ronald Jones all week long that they still wound up splitting the carries. (laughs) So it just shows you they're not totally going to phase Peyton Barber out of the offense. That's the biggest note that you take away from that. But you do like how he was involved in the passing game as far as Ronald Jones goes. Mike Evans, four catches, 82 yards on six targets half the amount of targets Chris Godwin had. So, coming out last few weeks, it seemed like they wanted to get Mike Evans back to being the ball, back to being the number one wide receiver. Now, he was shadowed by Patrick Peterson most of this game because Peterson didn't get get knocked out from injury until later on. And... Even though he only had four catches, he still led the way as far as the receivers go for the passing yardage. So he was still getting down the field on that one. So you're not going to be mad or disappointed at the end of the day. It wasn't like he had a touchdown. Chris Godwin didn't have a touchdown. The only person who did have the passing receiving touchdown was O.J. Howard. O.J. Howard, leave it to Arizona to resurrect O.J. Howard in a season in which he has been a non factor. Four catches, 47 yards, touchdown on seven targets. No, I do not think this is the turning point that O.J. Howard has been looking forward to get back involved into the offense moving forward to make himself fantasy relevant again. Yes, he has a talent. Yes, he should be more involved. But no, I don't think this is suddenly the game where he suddenly gets more involved. So before you start getting all excited about O.J. Howard and looking to pick him up and thinking that he can make the turnaround that you wanted him to have, this isn't going to be that matchup. This isn't going to be that situation, so I don't get too excited moving forward. On the Cardinal side of the ball, Kyler Murray had a big fantasy day, and you would pretty much expect him to against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 27-44, 324 yards, three touchdowns, did have a pick, but also tacked on 38 yards rushing. Pretty much what you expect out of Kyler Murray, who has had a lot of opportunities against the secondary who's been terrible all season long. The big thing was Christian Kirk. Cart- had no touchdowns this entire season, gets three, gets the hat trick in this game after having no touchdowns all season long. (laughs) Just shows you what Tampa Bay can do for a receiver who's looking to get back on track. Six catches, 138 yards. I talked about it before. He had become the lead receiver for this team since he's been back from injury. Now, Larry Fitzgerald had more catches, but Christian Kirk still had more targets in this game. So he was still the lead receiver as far as opportunities go and yards and touchdowns. You know, everything that pretty much mattered. Larry Fitzgerald, though, did have a decent game in this one. Eight catches, 71 yards. I said if you're in PPR leagues, I think you could play Larry Fitzgerald. I think he had a chance to get back to what he was doing earlier on in the season in this matchup, and he did. The only thing he didn't do was score in this game, but he had a solid game all the way around. Uh, Annie Isabella, three catches, 78 yards, still not involved enough to be a factor, to be a guy that you could take as a, a boomer bus flyer. He's not even the wide receiver five category necessarily, just not involved enough on a consistent basis. So Larry Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, and even then, I think you're playing them based on matchup, but to me it's going to be Christian Kirk the rest of the way as the wide receiver one for the Arizona Cardinals. The thing that we have to talk about with the Cardinals is the running back position. So David Johnson comes back boasting all week long how he's as close to 100% as we have seen. Um, Newsflash, no, he's not. He didn't get knocked out of this game. He did finish the game, but he wasn't on the field very much. Kenyon Drake was the lead back. He had 10 carries to David Johnson's five. Now, he wasn't efficient, Kenyon Drake, that is. 10 carries, 35 yards, only 3.5 yards carry, although Tampa Bay is one of the better run defenses, but he was still more efficient David Johnson because on those five carries, he only had two rushing yards. And a fumble. He had one catch for eight yards on a target. Kenyon Drake, seven targets, six catches, only went for six yards. That's the mind-boggling. Buy- I don't know how you have a catch a yard. I, I don't know how it's possible. He did in this game, but he was heavily involved. And I know there's been talk about Chase Edmonds may have a chance to come back in week 11. I'd be a little surprised. That was a pretty bad hamstring injury. I'd be surprised if he came back earlier than four weeks. So I do think he's going to miss. And keep in mind, there are bye weeks in week 12. So it doesn't make any sense from from, from my standpoint that they would play Chase Edmonds next week, especially if Kenyon Drake, especially if David Johnson is still playing Um to not take the opportunity, especially with the hamstring injury, to have that bye week and get that extra week of rest and have him come back in week thirteen. I say this because I think Kenyon Drake's going to have some flex appeal value in PPR leagues next week. They play San Francisco again. Kenyon Drake had the big game against San Francisco the first time. I think we're all about to see San Francisco be susceptible against the run. I think Chris Carson's gonna have a big game in uh in tonight's game in Monday night's game. So I think if that's going to be the case, I think Kenny Drake's somebody gonna play in the flex. Because, look, David Johnson, I, like I said, he finished this game and he may come out that he said maybe he got banged up again at some point. I don't really care. The first time he was on the field, the first touch that he had in this game, he looked like he was in first gear and couldn't get out of it. He looks so slow. I've never seen David Johnson look that slow in my entire life. He looked like he could barely move in that backfield. So I don't want to hear he's close to 100% healthy. He shouldn't have been out in this game. That's what that screamed to me. Watching this game, all I could think to myself is David Johnson should not be on the field at all, period. It is clear he's not 100%. It is clear he's severely hindered. He was in slow motion the entire time he was on the field. The entire time. Slow motion. So I kind of hope he doesn't play next week. I kind of hope they're just like, look, Kenyon Drake, you had this success against 49ers. We're going to let you do it again. Not just for a fantasy purpose, not just because I have Kenyon Drake in a league, but simply because David Johnson can't be on the field if he's going to look like that. He can't. Not only does it kill fantasy owners who have David Johnson, by the way, but this is one of the most exciting players in the NFL. To be reduced to what we just saw this past week is criminal absolutely criminal. So I don't think David Johnson should be out there. Hopefully he will not be uh, next week if that's really what his status is right now. That's really what his health is at right now. Next, going we talk about the New York Bowl, the New Jersey MetLife bowl, the Giants and the Jets and our shootout of the week. 34 to 27. The Jets come out on top. How'd be one of the ugliest shootouts I've ever seen because there wasn't a ton of production on either side of the ball, right? I mean, Sam Darnold had 19 of 30 for 230 yards and a touchdown. The only thing he didn't do is turn over the ball. He did run for a touchdown in this game. And like, that's not production you would normally see on a team that put up 34 points, but, but Le'Veon Bell, once again, look, this is the second week in a row where he's had a plus matchup and hasn't been able to get hundred yards rushing, has been heavily involved. Look, he had, if I look at it, he had well over 20 touches. Yeah. 22 touches total in this game. So he had 25 a week ago. He went over 100 yards from scrimmage then, only 68 yards from scrimmage. The difference was, though, this game, he actually scored the touchdown. So he wound up still giving you about the same amount of fantasy points that you had a week ago because he got you the touchdown in this game. And he's still good. He still puts you up high end RB2 numbers. You're just really hoping with this part of his schedule how juicy it is that he would give you that RB1 production, even with that terrible offensive line. But it's proven that that offensive line is so bad that even in plus matchups like he's had the last couple of weeks, even Le'Veon Bell can't do a whole lot with it. Hopefully that changes. He still has a month of plus matchups the rest of the way. But it's, it's seeming like it's going to take a lot for him to get going. As far as passing game goes, yes, Demarius Thomas has six catches for 84 yards on nine targets. You cannot trust Demarius Thomas' output. Who you can trust is Jameson Crowder. He's going to have a revenge game next week against the Washington Redskins. It's the second week in a row that he's actually scored, which is something you don't normally get out of him. Five catches, 81 yards on six targets. He's the one guy, he's the one wide receiver that no matter what, I'm going to expect him to have a role, expect him to get his share. As far as whether it's Demarius Thomas or Robbie Anderson outside of him, it's, it's neither here nor there than me. I'm not going to play either one of those guys. PPR League especially, James Crowder, he's going to have value because he is going to have his role moving forward. He's going to be the focal point of that offense moving forward, especially when it comes to the passing game. Outside of Le'Veon Bell, who still was involved. Like I said, four catches, 34 yards, and four targets. He was still involved. So Le'Veon's still going to keep getting those touches. You can still keep playing them. You're still going to be okay. On the Giants' side of the ball... Daniel Jones had a big week, 308 yards, four touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over in this one, tacked on 20 yards, rushing. Saquon Barkley had 13 carries for one yard. And this isn't a great Jets run defense, by the way, either. So this is what kind of gives you some hope about Le'Veon Bell. It's Like As bad as Le'Veon Bell was, Saquon Barkley was worse, and he got banged up in this game. We don't know exactly what it was. We know that he went for x-rays, uh, but the coaching staff wouldn't say exactly what the injury was. So he is going for x-rays. We're not going to show exactly what we're going to get. If he's going to miss, Wayne Gallman, once again, would be the backup. Now, he only had one carry for two yards in this game. Giants were coming down from behind. They were throwing the ball a ton. Daniel Jones threw the ball 40 times in this one. So the rushing game, on top of the fact that Saquon ran 13 times for one yard, we're not going to look too much into that. And as far as Saquon goes, we're waiting to see exactly what his status is going to be. But Wayne Gallman will be the backup and will be the starter if Saquon cannot go again. And we'll see how long Wayne Gallman can stay healthy. But as of right now, that's what we're looking at. As far as the receivers go, Darius Slayton, 10 catches, 121 yards, 2 touchdowns on 14 targets. Now, I've been a big Darius Slayton guy. And you can go back to my podcast back in April. Before he was even drafted, I talked about Darius Slayton. I thought he was somebody who was going to have a... Fantasy value. He had 6'3, has the big play on a a making ability that you like to see out of those type of guys. And I thought even this year, if he got run right situation, he was going to have boomer bust type of value for fantasy purposes. I never imagined a game in which he would have this much volume. Now, yes, Sterling Shepard was out. Yes, Evan Ingram was out. But you expect that all to go to Golden Tate. Golden Tate was heavily involved. He had 8 targets, 4 catches, 95 yards, and he also had 2 touchdowns. So you also got a big game out of Golden Tate. But Darius Slayton was off the chain in this game. Absolutely off the chain. And what it tells you is that if they're not going to have Ingram for another week, which is a real possibility, Sterling Shepard may be done for the season. They haven't officially put him on the IR yet, but it seems like all signs are pointing in that direction. The, the volume that's going to be there for a team that's going to be trailing more times than not is going to make Darius Slayton possibly a wide receiver three for fantasy football purposes moving forward with upside. I mean, that's what we're looking at here. Look, Golden Tate's always going to have the safer floor. Golden Tate's always going to be involved no matter what. Darius Slayton is going to be a little bit matchup-based because when he has to see a number one outside corner, I don't know how good of a game he's going to have in those matchups. But as long as he has plus matchups like this, in situations where he has a heavy target share in store for him as well because of injury, he's showing you he can make plays. And he's explosive. So he's somebody who really should be on the radar, might be a starter more than not for you moving forward as well, if you're looking for more receiver value. Brett Ellison was able to do his job in this one, three catches, 42 yards, just shows you these... He's not going to be as involved. Even Evan Ingram hadn't been that much involved since Daniel Jones has taken over. So I'm not going to jump on the Rhett Ellison bandwagon moving forward. I think the big thing, like I said, with the Giants outside of Golden Tate, Daly, or Slayton is what's, Saquon inj- what's Saquon's injury? What can we expect there? Is Wayne Gollman somebody we're going to need to pick up? That's pretty much the only questions you're asking yourself in that situation. We're going to take one more break. Come back on the other side. We have three more games to recap from the Sunday afternoon games. The MD's Fantasy Football Show is proud to become a new member of Overtime Heroics. Overtime Heroics is a fantastic sports media platform for sports fans all around the world to come and participate in their extensive forums. And now with the merger of the Land Sports Network, the website will soon have great content available from extremely well-written articles to entertaining and informative podcasts from all sports for you to enjoy. All you have to do is register for free at OvertimeHeroics.com to participate. Again, that's OvertimeHeroics.com. Alright, let's finish this episode strong here, down the stress with these last three games to talk about from the Sunday afternoon slots. And we're going to kick it off with the Dolphins and the Colts. Now this was one of the other surprise games that we had for the week. And from a fantasy perspective, there's not a ton to go over in this game. Kalen Balazs did have 20 carries. Kalen Balazs was the workhorse back. They didn't bring in someone surprising like a Miles Gaskin out of nowhere and get him involved. And expectedly so, Kalen Balazs was not very good. 20 carries and only got 43 yards on it. Had four catches for just two yards on it. But the volume was there. And you know what? There's a chance over these next two weeks... That you may be desperate for a running back and he could f- fall into the end zone at some point if he's going to get that kind of work. Uh, and especially since the Dolphins aren't as pathetic on offense as they used to be anymore either. Ryan Fitzpatrick was able to at least get the ball to Devontae Parker, which is all you're looking for. 10 targets in this game, 5 catches, 69 yards. Talk about how Devontae Parker has a high floor. Didn't have a great game in this one. It wasn't a great ceiling game. Didn't have that touchdown he'd been getting for the past few weeks, but I'll take a five catch for sixty nine yard performance out of a wide receiver three that I'm looking for just a high floor with touchdown upside out of. I'll take those ten targets. I mean, this is a good Colts defense, a defense that have been playing pretty well as of late too. So the fact that he's able to still get his is a good sign for things to come. As Devontae Parker is going to be somebody you he might be somebody you lean on in your starting lineups over the next few weeks. As far as the Colts side of the ball goes. Look, Brian Horner was terrible. So much for him being a competent backup. 18 of 39, 204 yards, touchdown, three interceptions. He's the biggest reason why this Colts offense looked absolutely pathetic at times. Marlon Mack did get his touches, 19 carries, 74 yards, had a catch for eight yards. 82 yards from scrimmage. Still gets you that high floor. He's going to have that high volume, high floor every single week. He's going to be a high-end RB2 with RB1 upside because you know he's somebody who can break a big play. He's somebody who has a chance to score a touchdown. It's going to happen more times than not. I'm, we're all good with Marlon Mack. Uh, next, we have for the pass catchers, Eric Ebron. I said I actually thought he could be a decent dart throw at the tight end position this week. Somebody you could pick up and play, have a decent game, and he did. Five catches, 56 yards, the only thing he didn't do is score. He actually should have had a touchdown. He wound up dropping it in the end zone. It was a very good play by the defender, but he had both of his hands on it. He could have hauled that in. But he was by far the most targeted pass catcher. 12 targets in this game. So I wasn't wrong on that aspect of it. He was the guy that they went to the most. Zach Pascal only 2 catches, 26 yards on 7 targets. The opportunities were there, but Brian Hoyer played so lousy in this game that really nobody was able to benefit. Nobody was able to get going. And Zach Pascal, who I thought going into this one would have a high floor, especially no T.Y. Hilton, was right in the sense that he got the opportunities, the amount of opportunities I was expecting him to get with no T.Y. Hilton and Brian Hoyer in the game, but because Brian Hart played so poorly, just wasn't able to execute and actually get on the same page. Jacoby Brissett has a very good chance to come back next week. So I'm not going to worry about this too much. T.Y. Hilton, we don't know yet. There's a real chance that he misses again next week. But as long as Jacoby Brissett is able to play next week, you can at least bump up guys like Zach Pasco, bump up guys like Eric Ebron, bump up this entire offense. Even guys like Mara Mack, you can expect to have more rushing room uh, moving forward if Jacoby Brissett is back there. And defenses have to actually respect a... NFL caliber quarterback starting for them. Next game I'll talk about is the Panthers and the Packers. Packers won a close one in this game. So I know what everyone's thinking, right? Devontae Adams comes back the last two weeks, has a really good game in this one, but All of a sudden, Rodgers went from having a hot streak where he was suddenly making himself QB1 fantasy viable again, and you would think, oh, it's only going to get better when Devontae Adams comes back, and the two weeks that Devontae Adams come back, he's going back to being a low-end QB2. I mean, it's so odd. Look, the big thing here, though, is that it was the running backs. It was Aaron Jones, who had 13 carries for 93 yards and three rushing touchdowns. That was the difference right there. When they got in close... When they got inside the 15 yard line, Aaron Jones was breaking tackles left and right and getting his way into the end zone. So instead of throwing the ball inside of the red zone like they normally would do in those situations, and if you you know you could attack on those three touchdowns to Aaron Rodgers easily, and all of a sudden it's a much different fantasy performance that we're talking about. That was the difference in this game because the running game worked, and apparently you can gash Carolina because now they've been getting gashed by everybody as elite late. Now, uh, that's not always going to be the case. I think more times than not, you're going to see Aaron Rodgers throw in that area of, of, this, of the field. And he did throw it a few times there. But they controlled this game for the most part. Aaron Jones was able to get going. And that was the big key difference in this game. That was why Aaron Rodgers didn't have as big of a game as you were hoping for or, frankly, should have had in this one. I think better days are ahead. The Packers do go on a buy. bye uh, next week, so we'll be able to get healthier. will able to get back on track a little bit. I expect Aaron Rodgers to get back to at least low-end QB1 territory the rest of the season when they come back. When they come back from bye, they play against the New York Giants. So that'll be a great matchup for everybody involved uh, there. Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams talked about, I talked about Aaron Jones, but Jamal Williams also had 13 carries in this game. So once again, they split the carries 50-50 right right down the middle. And Jamal Williams wasn't as good as Aaron Jones, but was still pretty decent in this game. 63 yards, was still efficient, almost 5 yards a carry. The only thing Jamal Williams didn't do this game that he had been doing over the past few weeks was score. He didn't score a touchdown in this one. Wasn't very involved in the passing game either. Only had one target. Uh, But Aaron Jones wasn't targeted at all in this game. So it wasn't like he was losing out there. So he pretty much still had 50-50% of the work. Aaron Jones just has more explosive ability, has more likelihood of scoring touchdowns. He's actually tied with Christian McCaffrey for the most touchdowns on the season for running backs, which is surprising as hell to me when you consider the, the discrepancy in the work share that Christian McCaffrey has with the Panthers compared to what Aaron Jones has with the Green Bay Packers. But this just shows you how much of a touchdown machine Jones has been. And it's... It's not like it's been week-to-week and consistent. It's been like he has four touchdowns in a game, and he's had three touchdowns, and it just comes in chunks where he just wins you the entire week by himself type of deal, but still has been excellent for you. Uh, Devontae Adams did have a good game in this one. Seven catches, 118 yards on 10 targets. Back to being wide receiver one himself. You're not going to worry about that too much. Yes, you lose him on bye again, but come back against the Giants. Come back the rest of the way. I expect Devontae Adams to be wide receiver one the rest of the season, no doubt about it. Outside of that wasn't much to go on. And we're not I don't really know there's going to be another pass catcher that you're actually gonna trust on a week to week basis on the Green Bay Packers. Because it's gonna be someone different every week. Yes, there's probably going to be in most weeks a second pass catcher who does really well, but it could be the running backs one week. It could be Lazard, it could be Kumaro, it could be Allison, it could be Scantling, it could be Jimmy Graham. So that second pass catcher, who knows who the hell it's going to be. So outside Devontae Adams, I don't know who I trust in this passing game. Uh, moving forward, plain and, plain and simple. So I don't know who it is I'm going to be playing. I don't think you're going to know what who to play in the right week to begin with. Another game to talk about, another ugly game to talk about, was the Rams and the Steelers. This game was was brutal to watch. So a couple things on the Rams side. There was three things that stood out to me. One, Jared Goff, you cannot be this bad on the road. You are a franchise quarterback. You are a $100 million man now. You can't be this bad. Terrible on the road every single time. That's number one. The second thing was Todd Gurley has to get involved in the passing game and is a twofer, has to also get back to being at least 16 to 18 touches a game. 12 carries in this game, 73 yards. So he ran the ball well when he got the opportunity to do so. Four targets, no catches, but that was it. In a game in which Cooper Cup didn't get a catch, Robert Woods took forever to get going and only was because of pure volume. Gerald Everett took forever to get going and was only because of pure volume. Todd Gurley needs to be a focal point of this passing game, especially if you're not going to have Brandon Cooks for a while. We don't know exactly what the timetable for Brandon Cooks is. There's been positive signs that he may return sooner rather than later. But if you're not going to have Brandon Cooks, even when you get Brandon Cooks back, this offense struggles when they don't have Todd Gurley involved in the passing game. We've we've talked about this before in previous podcasts this season, especially earlier in the season when they weren't getting Todd Gurley involved in the passing game then. You need... Gurley to be involved in the passing game for this offense to work the way that it's supposed to. You need Todd Gurley to get at least 16 to 18 touches in the game for this offense to work as it's supposed to. He looks healthy when he's getting the opportunity to explode through his runs. He's exploding every single time. He doesn't look hindered. Look, the all bets are off now. The Rams are five and four. So here here's my one, my one silver line for Todd Gurley owners. This is this is my light at the end of the tunnel for you. I gave I gave light at the end of the tunnel. I gave hope the Melvin Gordon owners, I gave a little bit of hope to Joe Mixon owners today. This is going to be my little bit of hope for Todd Gurley owners today. Is that the Rams are five and four, Seattle's playing really well, San Francisco is still undefeated. This team is really in danger of missing the playoffs unless they get themselves going soon. They made this big trade for Jalen Ramsey. They're in it to win it now. Their defense played excellent in this game. That offense has to actually get back to being a Rams offense to get actually back to being a Sean McVay offense. Which was bringing me to my third point, which is Sean McVay, and this kind of goes hand in hand with it, You need to get this offense back to where it was before. You need to stop being so vanilla with the play calling and actually get back to being creative on what made you great, which was being a run first team, a zone run first team and play actioning and building the passing game off of that, building end arounds off of that, jet sweeps, mixing in all that stuff, making everything look the same and yet running all these different plays off of it and getting back to the basics of what makes your offense so special in the first place. That has to happen. Period. It's it's mind-boggling to me. And the reason I'm so frustrated is because you have so many players on this team that should be fantasy-relevant week in and week out, and yet you have to watch them sit there and struggle. Even Robert Woods, who had a decent game in this one, seven catches, 95 yards, on 11 targets. You're not going to complain about that game, but it was the ugliest seven-catch-for-95-yard performance you'll ever see in your life. The fact that Todd Gurley looks healthy when touching the ball, and yet they still refuse to give him the ball more so, is mind-boggling. Like I said, you're 5-4. and four. The whole, like, we're waiting to save him for the second half of the season, waiting to save him for the playoff stretch. Guess what? That's happening right here, right now. It started with this game coming out of the bye, too, by the way. It's not, the trading wheels need to come off. The bubble wrap needs to come off. So that's my hope, that's my hope that I'm giving you Todd Gurley owners out there, because there's going to be a sense of urgency with this Rams organization after losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers in this game. A game in which the Rams should have won. There's going to be a sense of urgency because now all of a sudden they're going to be on the outside looking in. So this whole notion that we're trying to save Gurley to the very end of the season and and certain things like that, or we're trying to save our playbook to the very end of the season, all that has to go out the window starting next week. Otherwise, they're going to find themselves out of the playoffs altogether. They have to know that. So that is my hope to you Todd Gurley owners, that you may start to see him get his workload ramped up a little bit because they have to. Of course, if you want to add a fourth thing, and we talked about it all year long, that offensive line is horrendous. I mean, absolutely horrendous. That's one of the biggest reasons Jared Goff did struggle. It wasn't all his fault in this game. He was under pressure like no other throughout this entire game. He could never get comfortable in the pocket. He never had more than maybe a second or two to be able to throw the ball. So, it wasn't... Jared Goff played terrible, but it wasn't all his fault as he had pressure in his face the entire game. But Sean McVay's got to get back to what this offense does. If Todd Gurley's getting paid and Todd Gurley's out there and playing, it's time to play Todd Gurley like he's Todd Gurley because you can't hold back anymore. Can't afford it, period. So that's my that's my rant and rave about the Rams right now. As far as Steelers go, I can have a whole run rant and rave about them. I don't really have the like I said, I'm a little bit under the weather. I don't have the energy to have another one. It it just to summarize of what it would be, it would basically be Mason Rudolph doesn't have a baby arm. Mason Rudolph actually has a pretty good arm, and this this inexplicable overly conservative offense that the Pittsburgh Steelers are trying to run is is mind-boggling to me. He can throw a decent deep ball. Yes, maybe he's not the best at reading defenses yet. That's fine. Play action, bomb, make it a single read. Actually, Make defenses actually have to fear the deep ball. You have guys like Juju Smith-Schuster who feed off of big plays. You're not getting them big plays because you're not allowing Mason Rudolph to go down the field Ever. At least set him up on a play-action bootleg where he has a read to go down the field. Just anything to stretch the defense out. That would that would, that would summarize what my rant and rave would be, but I, I don't have the energy for a full one. Jalen Samuels in this game, 14 carries, 29 yards. That was the surprise. Uh, some guy you never heard of, Tony Brooks James, had six carries for 11 yards. Trey Edmonds, four carries a yard. Trey Edmonds was actually more involved in the passing game, two catches, 14 yards. Not sure what happened here. Not not really sure what happened here, but Jalen Samuels wound up being the lead back with no James Conner. We don't know if James Conner is going to be back next week. This is a pretty bad injury. They are going to play the doctors out. He does have a better chance to return next week, though. I would say it's probably 50-50 if he returns next week. We'll keep our eyes on the practice report as always, Uh, but there is an outside chance that happens. If not, we know Jalen Samuels will continue to be the featured guy. Wasn't nearly as good of a game as this one as it was last week because he only had three catches for 11 yards on top of it, but this was also an incredibly ugly game for both offenses involved. Uh, Deontay Johnson continues to have a high floor. Mason Rudolph, just they, they have a connection. They go to each other, four catches, 64 yards on six targets in this one. James Washington's the one who had the big game, six catches, 90 yards a touch on seven targets, but James Washington until this point, hadn't been this involved. And I don't think he's gonna to continue to be this involved week to week. So he's not somebody I'm looking at. I'm leaving him on the waiver wires. I don't trust him. I you have Judy Smith Schuster and you have Deontay Johnson because I think he's the one who actually has the highest floor of the three. But that's the only two you even want in your team. And even then, like I said with Schuster right now, it's 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 nerve wracking whenever you actually even have to play him at the moment. And that that's that's the real bummer part about it. But it's nerve wracking when even even that happens. So just keep that in mind. There's no reason to go after James Washington after this game. That's going to wrap up the podcast. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. I had a wonderful time. As always, we will be back tomorrow with the Sunday night and the Monday night recap. And, of course, the waiver wire report. Remember, we'll be back later on this week with the Thursday and Friday preview episodes that will be streamed live on Sportscaster along with having the audio versions as we always do. Make sure you're checking out any one of my networks, Belly Up Sports unwrapped sports or overtime heroics doing great work in those places as well. Make sure you follow me along on Twitter at MDSFFshow for all those player news update notifications. You can contact me on Facebook at MDFFFshow, and you can also go to my website, www.mdffshow.com. Not just direct email me, but you can also watch my video episodes on there, listen to my audio episodes, and check out, most importantly, the rankings for each week. I have to say my Week 10 rankings overall came out to be pretty close for the most part as far as where guys should have been ranked so it was actually a pretty decent week Uh, go ahead and keep checking those stuff out you can always follow me along I had a great time and I will see you guys again tomorrow
1: thank you for listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show